This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. They ship worldwide. They got everything from comic books, signed sports memorabilia from every sport pretty much, wrestling, MMA, you name it. They got it. Best thing, they update daily, so they got something new every day. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Shovel Knight, Red Dead Redemption, Silent Hill 2 and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products on the market, look no further and visit LegacySupps.com and use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They have everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything that makes you feel great or good or ready to go for your everyday life. You don't have to be an athlete to take their stuff. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition, so please visit them at LegacySupps.com. And finally, if you want to support me monetarily, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link takes you right to the merchandise store i got everything from travel mugs to phone cases to hoodies t-shirts you name it i got it please check that out at tpublic.com but the easiest thing the most important thing the freest thing the thing everyone should be doing every single time you listen if you haven't done it before is please rate subscribe review on all major platforms most specifically apple Podcasts, stitcher tune in soundcloud spotify and iHeartRadio. so this week's guest has written for such shows as netflix's jessica jones Hulu's Wu-Tang, An American Saga, and the upcoming House of Dragons on HBO. He is also the person behind the YouTube channel Serial Time, Gabe Fonseca. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. No, thank you for being here, my friend. Okay, right off the bat, people who know me will recognize the last name. We share the same last name, my friend. Let's get into this. What's going on? Like, I'm, everyone knows I'm Portuguese background. What's, what's your background? You're in the States. I'm in Canada. So what's going on? Yeah, so first of all, I was, I'm, I, whenever I, it's very rare that I come across people, I'm sure you too, with our last surname, so that's that's exciting whenever <laughs> I see that. Um, uh, I'm Kate 
Sure. Uh, my father is Cape Verdean. Um, and, you know, he's born in New England, uh, Massachusetts region, where there's lots of Cape Verdeans. So, and people who don't know, who maybe don't know uh, internationally, uh, Cape Verdean, uh, Cabo Verde Islands are on the coast, uh, west coast of Africa. It's like a mix of Portuguese and African uh, culture. And um, like third generation, though, my, my, my grandparents were, uh, you know, I think my great grandparents came over. So we don't speak Portuguese <laughs> at all. Right. Um, I don't know if you, if you do, if you grew up speaking Portuguese, but I, I did not. So um, <laughs> that's hilarious. But yeah, that, that's where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I grew up Portuguese. I'm second pretty much. Well, I'm first generation Canadian. So my parents speak fluent Portuguese. They grew up and were born and raised in Portugal. So I'm the first generation here. So I speak both languages. Actually, I also speak Spanish because it's not too far off for me. So it's pretty easy. But yeah, no, it's Portuguese. And now it totally makes sense. See, because... Fonseca is originally a Portuguese last name. So there's yeah. a lot of Brazilians yeah. that are Fonseca. I didn't know there was anyone yeah. from, I, I say it the Portuguese way, Cap Verde. I, I didn't know there yeah. was anyone there that's over here that's Portuguese. Like, you know what I mean? So to me, it always blows my mind to find out where people are from because there's apparently some in Puerto Rico. There's more in the Caribbean. And I'm thinking back to maybe when they used to travel the world and were discovering new places is they came over and then yeah. they planted seeds there and then they just left or something. I don't know. It's, it's weird yeah. to find out we're all over it, the world. It's weird, and you know, like I remember going. Man, I was like in high school, or maybe it was college, and my father and I were went to Hawaii. And when we were in Hawaii at the McDonald's, there they had linguisa. Oh, and okay. My, it, it, my, and then the, my father was like, "Why?" We looked into there's like a huge Portuguese population, yeah. in, and, and there was like Fonseca in, in Hawaii, and we were like, "We're right. all over." It's funny. My wife said, because she, she's from Ecuador, she always says it. She says, like, the Portuguese are like cockroaches. Everywhere you go, there's always, like, a centralized unit of them. They don't go too far, but when you meet them, they're, like, a huge horde. Like, you know what I mean? A huge community. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, but that means you're familiar with Portuguese dishes, then, if you know linguisa, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, Cape Verde, uh, probably more Cape Verde, Verde than Portuguese, but I okay. do. I mean, like, we, Portuguese, we grew up with Portuguese sweet bread, Cape, uh, kale soup. Linguisa, you know, certain these things that. So I'm sure yeah, they cross, the, the Zen diagram probably, you know, Zen diagram probably crosses over with with the cuisine that you grew up with as well. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm wondering. I should ask other Fonseca's that I meet if any of them have done ancestral. Have you done any of that? Have you tried to trace your roots or anything? I have. It gets oh, really tough. Okay. It gets tough to. Um, I can get the the immigrant uh, immigrate here, but once I go back to the islands. The in Cape there it's really hard document wise. I imagine if I visit, I haven't, I've never visited Cabo Verde, and I want to. But uh, I imagine if I did, you might they may have documents, a better document keeping there that I could find. But as far as like the online ancestry stuff, it only goes back so far before it's like, yeah, they came from this island in Cape Verde, and that's all we got for you. <laughs> oh, I see. Because I, I, I want to do it eventually. I'm, I'm still biding my time. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is why I don't want to do it, but I just, whatever. But I want to eventually do do want to do it because I want to see how far back it goes. Because obviously, that Roman Empire and all that of Portugal is like, that's old school, like blood, yeah, original yeah. type shit. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. to wonder where everything actually originated and if it actually is a Portuguese original name. Because who knows? It could have yeah. came from some, some other continent, right? Right, right, right. And I'm, but I think probably Europe does a better job. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably speaking out my ass here. But I feel like Europe does a better job with keeping... I think one of the problems I run into, uh, I think a lot of people run into, is that Cape Verde is African, too. And so it's like, right. they're, they're, you know, there's not... You know, it, it, it's hard for people here who, who, who have ancestors in Africa to trace back, like, where they came from. And so the... Cape Verde is not, you said it's Portuguese, but it's African too. So it's like when the Portuguese came over there, right? great, we started, you know, they started a culture and community there, but it doesn't really have 
documents of like you know where <laughs> where they came from before. So yeah, exactly. And I would assume that would be like the original like settlers here in North America. Like it only goes exactly, so far right. back, I guess, as when they were first colonized here, right? So yeah, yeah. Colonizers come and we're like, okay, so we're the colonizers, and that's all we got for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Okay, so you obviously you're a writer. I've mentioned a ton of shows off the bat, but before we get into all that, what made you want to be a writer? What made it click that you're like, oh, I want to do this for the rest of my life? Well, it's kind of funny. I don't. I, I wanted since I was a kid. I was always a, a fan of movies, and so mm. growing up, I would watch. You know, I remember watching. Uh, my parents were really liberal as far as letting me. Watch. I was watching Predator when I was like eight years old, and watching Beverly Hills Cop, and, and nice. all you know, like they didn't have any, they didn't care what we watched <laughs> in our house. And gotcha. so, like, I had a love for all kinds of movies at a very young age. And so, um, I always kind of wanted to do uh, basketball was my first love, and I was like, well, I want to be in the NBA. But once that became very evident that I was not good enough to ever do that, uh, <laughs> movies is kind of where I focused uh, my, my passion on, and. Uh, um, after school, I mean, when I was in high school, I would make like movies with my friends and write scripts um, just for fun and goofing around. And, oh, nice. and I don't think I really realized until I was applying to colleges that it was like, oh, there's film schools you can go and actually do this as a career. Um, and so I applied and got into NYU film school. Oh, nice. And at the time when I was there, I still, I mean, I always wanted to write and direct movies. And I still want to write and direct uh, movies. But that was at a time in the, I mean, you're my age as well. So like that was mm-hmm. in the 90s. There was like this boom of independent film, you know, with Kevin Smith and Clarkson, and like all these other type sure. of indies was a great uh, 90s was a great time for indie films. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of kids grew up in that era and were like, oh, this is amazing. you can get a camera, you can get, get a small budget, and make a, 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 a feature length film. Um, and that's what I had planned to go to NYU to, to hopefully learn how to do that. And then um, they didn't have at the time, they didn't have like a TV program because in the nine, you know, in the late 90s, TV was episodic television there wasn't you know sopranos was just coming in those hbo shows were just starting and so they still looked at especially nyu looked at television as sort of like "Mm, the redheaded stepchild that nobody like you know that's Ah. not that's not legitimate filmmaking that's just sort of like television and so they didn't have a program for that there um so i just learned how to you know the the technical aspects of filmmaking and and whatnot and then upon graduating i didn't i kind of kicked around new york for a while um uh working on as production system on like documentaries and, and, and odd jobs here and there. And then about 2006, um, my wife and I, um, who I met at NYU decided to move out to Los Angeles to just, you know, give it a try. Um, and then when I came out here, uh, I learned uh, first, one of the things I learned that was really interesting when I came out here was that NYU it was a great film school, but it didn't teach you the business aspect of it. It taught oh. you sort of the filmmaking aspect. Sort of like they expect you to go and make your magnum opus and be a oh, struggling sure. artist and filmmaker. <laughs> okay, Whereas sense. people, when I, when I met people out here in Los Angeles that went to USC or UCLA had sort of like this, not just the alumni behind them, but also mm-hmm. sort of like we understand how to navigate the business and, and do this as a job and, and, you know, as a career. Sure. And I didn't have that. So I kind of was playing catch up for a while and, was a production assistant on a few shows here out here and um, on TV shows and realized that I was like, you know, the, you know, writing, I always wanted to write and direct movies, but I was like, you know, the, as I said, in early two thousands, the, the television landscape started to change and you started to see that like, you could tell long form more intricate stories on television. And I was like, you know, that's something that I could see myself doing mm-hmm. as a career instead of just sort of hoping to make it as an artist one day. Um, and so that, yeah, that was my journey out to LA. And then I, um, 
I mean, I don't want to bore you with like the steps all the way through. <laughs> yeah, and then I, 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 you know, I worked my way up and, and finally was able to um, get a job writing for television. But it's funny how you say it's true. Like back, people don't understand, like, especially the younger generation, obviously back in the nineties and stuff, like before that, the TV boom or the so-called streaming boom happened, like TV was this redheaded stepchild. Like everyone wanted to watch movies. No one cared about TV. There was no big so-called TV actors. Everyone was in movies if you wanted to make it. And you would see people transition from TV to movies. But once you made that jump to movies, you'd never go back. You'd never go back. And now slowly but surely, I have, I hate to, not to hate to admit it, but I like to admit it because that's, it's awesome that I enjoy TV shows better now than movies. And you, you are seeing those big actors coming into TV. If they haven't, they, you'll see them soon enough, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's the, the form of uh, story. It allows you so much more space to tell big character stories in television. And that's not to say, by the way, like, I love movies too, but the, the yeah, film film has sort of changed into this sort of, all they want is IP, intellectual property, and superheroes and Star Wars. And again, I grew up loving Star Wars. I like those things too, but it became, they don't make these mid-budget movies that they made, that we saw in the 90s anymore. It's like, we have to make franchises that sure. can make tons of money <laughs> instead of like, let's just make the small, nice you know, character movie yeah. for this much money because there's just not a a, a market for it anymore. So the, that storytelling is kind of all, all shifted to television, which is great for me. I'm writing for television and I enjoy it, but I also <laughs> do kind of miss the, you know, being able to go see a two hour. All the movies are like, even the, the they're all three out. Like, have you seen, gone to see movies in theaters? Even like, like the non-superhero ones, I'm yep. like, they're just, why are they three hours now? I'm like, just, just make a nice two-hour movie. Just use some editing. <laughs> I have this discussion all the time on the show. Like, that's my biggest thing. It's like, it makes no sense to me where we live in the ADD era where movies should be shorter because of the attention spans are shorter. But yet, when we grew up, movies were 90 minutes all the time. And you'd get excited if you saw a two-hour movie. Now, yeah, it's the norm. Three hours, yeah. Which I think, I think part of it must come from it's such a spectacle to go see a movie in theater that people, that this comp- the studios must think like, People need to feel like they're getting their money worth. So well, of course, water, I think so. But it's ju- it's just like no, you could tell a tighter, better story in two hours. But you know, it is. It's but that normal. goes even, <laughs> and it even bleeds into other forms of entertainment. Video games is the same thing. Like a video game experience now is anywhere from sixty to a hundred hours, and it's like who has the time for that anymore? Like, where's my one level Donkey Kong game where I could play on the go and like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, no. which is funny because like you said, it's like the. the the ADD attention spans seem shorter, so it, it seems counterintuitive to do that. For most people, want just a little quick, quick bites of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. Well, and speaking of like mer- going from like movies to TV, I've been enjoying a lot of the Marvel stuff on Disney. And you were on one of the original Marvel series. Like first, it was Daredevil, obviously, and that just blew everyone's yeah. mind. Where you could like how you said you could tell a nice, beautiful story without having all the special effects, and then still be good and you want to keep watching more and more. And Jessica Jones, if I'm not mistaken, was the second one after Daredevil, and you were yes. on that. So how did all that come to be? Yeah, I was on the second season. The first season was great. Gotcha. The second season was, okay. was, was good, too. I'm, not, I'm proud of the second season. But, um, and we were, I guess, the first, the those first four Marvel ones, which probably don't, uh, the true Marvel heads now probably don't look at that as actually part of the, I mean, we're not part of the, the I mean, I think we are now sort of. the, the Spider-Man with Daredevil crossover. I think yeah, yeah. we are, but I'm not sure how many of those actors are going to actually go into the Marvel universe. But, um, exactly. Yeah, that was really, I mean, I grew up loving comic books. I, I have, um, okay. uh, I have Luke Cage number one. I remember oh, going shit. into a Marvel meet, a Marvel meeting early on for Luke Cage series, the first season and with the next telling them like how much I grew up loving Luke Cage and I have the first Luke Cage comic and all that. Right, right. I, unfortunately it didn't land me on that show, but, 
but yeah, I was a huge comic book nerd growing up. And so that was a, a real exciting thing uh, for me to be a part of. And it, it's, uh, you know, now I look at the Disney Plus shows, like you said, which are, are I think are, um, I don't want to say better, but they are, there's a different level of production. Th- that's and exactly value, what it is. And money that yes. they kind of put into them yes. that, that, we, that they didn't get the Netflix. That's fair. But, um, but still, I mean, yes, it was, it was a joy and honor to be a part of, to be able to, to play in that sandbox. You know, Jeff Loeb would come into our writer's room and I'd be like, Jeff Loeb, I know, like I grew up reading your comics and stuff. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was wild. It was definitely wild. Oh, that's so cool that you were actually a fan too. And yeah, and it goes across the board. Even recently with Peacemaker, that was done fantastically. I find, I don't know if you're up to date with Peacemaker, because I, to me, it's just on the same level as Marvel now, where a lot of people were slagging on DC and this, this and that. But I think they did it perfectly where you got Marvel where it appeases sort of like, I guess you could say the 14 and below you know you know what i mean and obviously everyone else could watch it because they don't drop any f-bombs or anything but then dc is smart now go the totally opposite make it more mature make it more uh, like rated r like you know what i mean have nudity have the f-bombs dropped why not like why why try and be the same makes no sense i know i know i I, that's i mean that's the thing that i always felt like will continually hamstring marvel to some extent i mean they try with deadpool right to sort of like oh yeah that's true get get that market but but it does seem like you know, I don't have kids, but I I, I appreciate that they make stuff that's kid friendly. But I'm also I, like you, I'm like yearning for sort of like okay, <laughs> a lot of this seems like family tropes and stuff that we've seen, and I enjoy them. Obviously, I enjoy them, but it's just like you you kind of yearn for that. Like let's let's do an X Men that's really like gritty and edgy. Let's do you know like Expo, you know like X Force or something. Yeah, like, do something that's that a good is, one, is yeah. something that you know. I remember. Um, what was the uh, with Jamie Matrix the comics that was the the um, mm. uh, Mutant Town or whatever like that the, the, uh, Peter David I think wrote these great comics okay. and, and, uh, and that were just the gritty Mutant Town but it's like there's sex there's violence there's all kinds of stuff in it and I don't think we'll see that ported over into the Marvel universe no. just because yeah. Disney and Disney Plus is just not gonna is not gonna give us that but well, like you said at least we have we have uh, somebody that's trying to to give us that with some superhero stuff in, in, in DC. Um, I still, at this point, I'm, I'm getting close to um, a saturation point with some of these with some of these superhero things. I mean, I always the kid in me will always enjoy them, but I'm like, there's so much more. There's so many more original spaces that we could be exploring that I'm just like, do we need another superhero thing? Do we need another? I, I love Star Wars too, but I'm like, how many book of you know book of sure better book of you know like uh, I see what, what are they do they're doing the um, the Obi-Wan? Diego Luna. Yeah, Obi Wan was fine, but the Diego Luna, I think, from the Rep, uh, shut up, the they're going to do that too now. They're, they're doing a TV sh- oh, like Cassian Andor or something like that, and okay. I'm like, I love him as an actor; he's great in that show. But I'm like, we all know what happened to him already. Like, right? I don't, he, he dies trying to get the plans. It's not. It's like exactly. I don't need a prequel of that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you say because I'm sort of, especially with the superhero sort of stuff. Anything new that say that drops on Netflix or even Amazon that's superhero esque, that's not Marvel or DC. I don't even bother anymore. It could be the greatest thing on earth, but it's like, I'm too invested now in Marvel and now in DC, obviously, where it's like, I don't have room for no more. I want other stuff. I want to still watch comedy. I still want to watch horror. Like, you know, I like my palettes like broad. It's not just one, one taste, right? Yeah. 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 I hope, hopefully that, that, you know, it it seems like it goes in a pendulum that swings back and forth. Right. And so hopefully we're at this stage right now where it's all franchise and driven IP. And then hopefully we'll swing back at some point. See, but the problem is, is that everything is so good. It's not like it's shitty. Because if it was, it would <laughs> no, be I easier know. to throw away, right? Right. No, no, I agree. I love it. it That's the just, problem. Like, there's, room for, there should be room, 
for all of this. And I just want more balance in, in the TV landscape, you know, um, for more, you know, and the movie landscape, just for more, you know, stuff we grew up, like you said, we grew up in the 90s. There were so many great, you know, indie flicks and sort of like yeah. unique stories that you haven't heard told before. And now it seems like uh, it has to be. I mean, my experience just working in the industry is like trying to sell projects or, or, or you know, talking to, to executives is that, What's the IP attached to it? Like, oh, that's interesting. Do you have IP attached to it? Do you have a even an article or a podcast or something that you can present to them so that they don't have to take that risk on themselves? You know, they go like, well, there's right. already built an audience, so we don't feel, you know, risky picking this up. And that, that to me, is sort of ant- antithetical to the idea of being creative and, and original. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. Well, speaking of 90s, like you said, we grew up in that era where everything, and now they're remaking literally everything from the 90s. How do you feel about this being a so-called 80s slash 90s baby? I mean, I'm torn. Roz. I imagine you are. I'm torn because I do love, I mean, it's nostalgia. I love it, right? You love seeing these things that, that you grew up in your childhood. And then sometimes they, they, they take some missteps here and there and you go like, ah, that kind of ruined. But it doesn't because the original still exists. You know, whatever, whatever the rebooting, the original will still exist. So like, they can't take anything away from that. But um, it's a fun time, it, you know, not to, to transition into to cereal, but like they've done that with some cereals too. Like they bring back some cereals from the nineties, like uh, French Toast Crunch and things That's that I, true. you know, cereals that I yes. grew. So I and, and I think there's other products like, uh, you know, I think they brought Crystal Pepsi back a few years ago or whatever. So it's like yeah. we're, we happen to be in this era where they are marketing to us our age group you, you meet that that yep. now have a little more buying power so they realize they can market to us and, and mm-hmm. sell us back our childhood um and so i enjoy it and then also cynic in me is like come on we don't need this <laughs> it's true especially if it's like a classic like they're gonna remake yet again scarface for now the third time it's like okay how many times you got to remake yeah, stuff right. like you know what i mean i don't want to see like one of my favorite movies of all time the goonies i don't want to see that remade oh if you want, continue the story. Have the Goonies as like grandparents telling a new story or sure. something, right? That's sure. fine. Like that, no, I don't mind no. when they do like sort of like spinoffs and include the old characters. That I I, I yeah. love that to death. I don't like a so-called yeah. per se reboot from top to reboot. bottom. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think I, I feel like the public is starting to feel that way too, to some extent. Mm-hmm. I hope so. That maybe they realize like if we're going to do this, if we're going to try to make these sort of uh, legacy franchises. We have to do it in a way that that seems original and unique, and not just like, "Hey, we're just going to go, you know, rehash the script." The one that I'm like, like if they do if they do anything to Back to the Future, it's going to be really hard for me. I'm going right. to it's going to be really sad, really sad time for me. I read that the, the I think the writer of that owns or there's something in his contract that they can't, you know, as long oh. in his estate they can't nice. do it. Maybe maybe when he dies, they'll go after the sure. estate and be able to do it. But it seems like it's safe for the time being, so that that, that gives me some solace that knowing that they're not going to, you know, reintroduce Martha McFly, <laughs> and, <you> right? Know, <laughs> some female reboot, which uh, you know, whatever. It's <laughs> I know it's just it's just not the same. That's the problem, right? And then, well, even watching stuff, like you mentioned, like, how is it for you as a writer when you see something that's either A, sloppy, or they're like, oh, I would have done this different? Do you critique what you watch, or are you able to sit back and just enjoy it? Uh, that's a good question. I feel like if you ask my wife, she would tell you that I'm not able to sit back and enjoy it, because I, I, when we watch television together, I'm often like, oh, this, this leads to this, oh, this is going to be this. Sure. She's like, shh, just watch it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I do think, yeah, I think, I think, I think at this point in my career, it's, it's I'm, I, I'll be honest. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, there's not a lot of dramas that I'm uh, currently like in love with and watch. So I, okay. I'm very picky, very picky about what I watch on TV and what I dedicate, you know, give my hours to. So, um, and I, that wasn't the case like 
10 years ago when, when I got into TV, I was watching everything and devouring everything and liking a lot more. And I feel like once you see how the sausage is made a little bit, it, 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 jade, it unfortunately, it makes you a little jaded. Um, I wish I could, I could go back and watch, uh, watch some of these things with, with sort of a more innocent eyes, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but my biggest thing is when you could tell the writer or the writing team or whoever's doing or behind it, when they don't do their research or something like, you know what I mean? And it's like sloppy. Like my wife brought this to my attention the other day. She was reading a book and it's not word for word, obviously, but it's something like she took out her key and placed it in the Tesla's ignition. Well, if people know Tesla is a app based and card based, there's no key. So obviously this person's never been in a Tesla. Why would you right. say that? So you didn't do your reason. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the sloppiness yeah, yeah. that I don't appreciate. I Like, I could suspend disbelief or do whatever I need to do in order to get through the series or movie. But when it's stuff like right. that, it's like, come on, man, do better. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, that, and I don't know if that's a book you're talking about. But, like, I maybe give a little more leeway to some. I mean, I shouldn't. They should do the research, too. But in TV, there's no excuse because it goes through so many like you have a writer's room right then you go through executives and then network executives and stuff like it should never it, you know if if it gets to tell if it gets to on screen right and it's a mistake and it's that glaring mistake then a lot of people missed it along the way and that's and that's a problem that's just it shows a lack of care in mindset. which by the way sorry i mean like that i think is uh a symptom of that we have a lot weight too much television That's and you know like you go back to when we were we were younger like you said there was a few networks and there was so many tv shows on them <laughs> and and now there's like i think 600 tv new shows a year or something like ridiculous like that That's and crazy. so the amount of people it's just it's just spread so thin that it, it, the the quality control i think kind of goes down a little bit unfortunately no so now how about in your case if like well for example you love comic books so for you it was easy to write anything that's comic book based but what if something was approached to you in an ip you had no idea about or whatnot would you turn it aside or would you dig in and do research and, and actually do the project uh i it, like uh five or six years ago i probably would have jumped on anything just because to to help the resume and help my career. Okay. Um, but at this, at this point, no, I actually do turn down probably, I say oh. more, no to a lot more than I say yes to, okay. uh, just because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm on a show right now. I'm on the third season of Wu-Tang right now. I grew up loving Wu-Tang. I'm a huge hip hop head and it's a dream come true. And before that, I got to work on this game of Thrones show in, in, in between seasons of Wu-Tang. And I just, I'm really privileged. I'm really lucky and fortunate that I get, that I've gotten to work on these shows that I'm really passionate about. And so to me at this point, there's no, it would feel like I, I'm I'm lucky enough that I can say no to certain things. I'm lucky sure. enough that it's like no, there's no reason to say yes to something that I'm not super excited about off off the bat because you know I, I'll have the opportunity to do something that I'm really excited about. So you know, which is not to say I mean you, you can probably find you know something in, in anything you can find something that reflects or, or, or relates to your life and kind of dig into it, but. Uh, I'm just too lazy to do that at this point. It's like I've had to be something that I'm, ex- I'm excited off the bat from. <laughs> no, I, I'm the exact same way. Like, if, for example, there's been people who've approached me that have no idea of your uh, little corner of the world of entertainment, what you do. So I'll either bring in someone who knows a lot about it, and I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I don't care because I still want to put something out for people because people like stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Or I'll have to say, no, I'm sorry. Or I'll direct them towards someone else. Like, it's true. Like, now in your 40s, like, you don't have the patience and you just don't want to yeah. do all that so-called research. And hopefully, in this part of your life, you're good where you're at, where you don't need to take, like you said, everything that's yeah. thrown at you, right? Right. And, and, and even, honestly, some things that, like, you know, a lot of my choices now are I don't want to kind of rehash or redo things that I've done before. Like oh, I, I love Wu Tang, I love hip hop, but 
there's been other things that have come down the pike about hip hop or projects. And I'm like, you know, I've just done this for three years. I don't really want to do this. I I turned down a Marvel Disney show, which I I can't talk about that, that I didn't, I I didn't want to do because I was like, I played in that sandbox already a little bit. And I don't, I don't really want to do that. I wanted to find something new to excite, to excite myself with something, something new, you know? No, that's cool. Well, and speaking of Wu-Tang, now you said it because I was, that's, I was going to lead up with, if you're a big hip hop fan, they can't see your shirt here, but you got the big W on your shirt. Well, here's the thing. I was a bit nervous to tell you the truth because first off, we don't get Hulu up here in Canada. So I didn't, I didn't want to go through the means of getting a VPN and doing everything that way and then getting an American credit card because technically that's legal. So you know what I mean? But and I, I didn't want to do it through nefarious means. Isn't it coming? Isn't it coming soon though? I heard that Wu Tang is coming soon to Canada. That's what well, they, here's they the thing. Me. It's weird because I Googled it to see if it was available in Canada and it is available on our Disney Plus up here because we have a bundle package with other networks from you guys just because of the different country laws right. and shit, right? So <laughs> we actually get like, like, I think we get the Stars Network part of our Disney Plus package, right? Okay. So I Googled it and it was there. So I'm like, yes, I get to watch it. I go there. It's, Episode 10 of season one, and that's it. I'm like, what the hell is this? What? I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, at least give me the pilot or something. You give me the last episode of season one? What? Oh, no. They got to rectify that. That's not... That's... We we need the Canadian... We need... The funny thing is... You know, we'll get get into this, but Wu-Tang, as you know, like, is international... Like, they are loved internationally all over in every country in the world. So, to me, it's wild that we're, we're writing season three right now, that it's still... Not all over the world. You would think they would they would do whatever they could Hulu in the first season to get it out to as many people as possible because it is international. People love Wu Tang, so that's crazy. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible, but don't, yeah, don't just don't just watch that episode. I, I would not. Recommend no, of course not. But I'm sure it will eventually make its way up here, as most stuff does, right? And I think it's probably available on our Apple TV, but we got to pay per episode. You know how some yeah have those yeah, yeah, like type of things. Yeah. yeah. Right, so I'll just wait until it's available on our Netflix or something eventually or something like that, right? But yeah. even in, with myself, like I have to admit, I sort of fell off of Wu-Tang after the W album. Like those first three albums, classic, Chef's Kiss, like you know what I mean? Like I can't really complain about much. But the funny thing is, like to us hip-hop heads, that's like, Wu-Tang is like beloved. It's like, should be on Ru- Mount Rushmore of hip-hop, like you know what I mean? But to the outside world who are just sort of casual, they don't revere Wu Tang and put him up there on that pedestal. Why is that? I, do, I mean, it well, it's true. I mean, I do think that it's funny. Working on this show, I've I've come into to contact with people who recognize the W symbol, right? Because it's yes. sort of like recognizable. Of course. But you ask them about like, do you know? And they don't. You know, they can name Old Dirty Bastard, maybe a Method Man, right? The two like most exactly. popular people in the group. But they can't even name. Like my wife was like. What's a Method Man song? You know, like she didn't know. Oh, and shit. Then, okay. she, now that I've worked on the show, she knows everything. Yeah, yeah, of course. Know, too much. She doesn't want to know, probably. But <laughs> but I do think you're, you're you're right. Like it's they're recognizable as a brand. I think across people that aren't even familiar with hip hop, they're like, oh, it's Wu Tang Clan. We're familiar with that, right? But then they can't name the songs or necessarily any of the artists uh, in the group. Um, and I don't know. I think that I think it's just sort of. Wu Tang wasn't radio friendly. If you remember back in the day, they That's weren't puffy. They weren't the remixes and stuff. Like they didn't have that radio hits, and they they were just. I mean, because they were, right. they were talking about street people love Raekwon, the Purple Tape, Cuban Links is a great album, and New Yorkers love it, and and everybody across the world loved it. And it changed the sort of mafioso rap of, of New York um, hip hop. Right. But it wasn't like Ice Cream maybe got played on the radio a little bit, but for the most part, they didn't they didn't have a lot of radio play, and so that that 
is going to make it, you know, um, if you're a hip hop head, you'll obviously be aware and, and love them. But if you're a casual um, music listener, I just don't think it comes across your radar that, that much. Yeah, it's true. Because even in my case, because again, when we grew up, it was before the internet. So you wouldn't know when stuff would blow up unless someone would tell you it or you would figure out for yourself. So I knew obviously of Wu-Tang growing up and stuff like that and listening to them. But I had no idea that most of them splintered off, well, not splintered, but went on their ways and did drop solo albums and stuff until someone said, oh, did you know Old Dirty Bastard has his own album? I'm like, what? That, like, blew my mind. And then I went down a whole other rabbit hole, like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, everyone knows Method Man, like, that Takao 2000 album, again, another masterpiece, I find. But again, not radio-friendly, not, like, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't hear it in the clubs, but if you went somewhere and you're hanging with the boys or playing pool or something, that's what you would like to listen to, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. And I mean, I think, you know, Methan at some point also with the Red Man, Methan and Red Man became sort of oh, that's another they became classic. a little radio friendly. They had like a TV show for a small period of time. That's right. And they were movies and stuff and how high movies. So I yep. think they were able to cross over into to, to the you know public sphere a little more. But uh, yeah, I know. I think maybe that's probably not. I should that's why. But it's like you know, there's a, a certain pride I have about my my love for Wu Tang Wu Tang knowledge that uh, it does seem sort of like a subculture. Uh, that 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 is is sort of uh, you know unique and not and not a lot of people know. I, I'm I'm like again like I said, this is a dream come true for me. This job, I pinch myself sure. every day. I get to go in the writers' room and talk about hip hop with RZA, and it's like <laughs> if I could tell my 15 year old self that, he'd be like, "This is what you do for a living. This right? is crazy," you know. So I, awesome. it's uh, it's it's been a blessing. It's amazing, and, and RZA has even like uh, my father sent me a a link from like a radio show that RZA was on where he like shouted me out he's like you know gabe's a hip-hop head in our writer's room and he corrects me on hip-hop all the time oh, shit. and it's and i was like i'm like i i'm like how do i save this is like a, a video forever <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's literally like i i bring this i can't wipe the smile off my face just thinking about it all the time well that's what i want to know as well working with someone like rizza for example that you looked up to and now is sort of like your peer like do you hold back on your critiquing or do you're just like okay i gotta put my fandom behind me and just this 100 percent work I mean, it's really, it was really tough the first uh, the first season okay. because it's just like you're just like you're you're a fan and you're like sure. you know, he'll say something and you'll be like yeah, yeah. Uh, okay I mean that's not actually true hip hop wise but I'm not gonna correct you and but then it's like as we've gone on this is the third season now we have really sure. good comfortable rapport and I have I'm like able to every once in a while you know he'll he'll say something and be like what sample was that and like look at me and I'll be like oh it's this or whatever and I, I just it's it's a uh, it's wild. It really in my in my I, wildest dreams. I would never expect that this this is my life. It's it's been a it's been a wild ride, and I, it, it's also really fun just to, um, you know, we produce this show, at, you know, in New York and Jersey where we shoot okay. it. And I go out there and produce episodes, sure. and it's fun to see the young guys portraying the the young actors portraying these guys oh. who didn't necessarily grow up on Wu Tang and That's are sort of true. like learning. And bringing it to their age, their cult, their, their you know their community as like kind of reinventing Wu Tang or kind of remaking them cool to a different generation. So it's really cool to see to see you know Wu Tang is forever, right? Wu Tang forever. So right it's fun uh-huh. to see if they can you know how they reinvent themselves and continue continue going on. What's one of the things that surprised you that you never knew about Wu Tang once you took on this project? Oh, um, that's a good question. What about Wu Tang? surprise me i mean you know what i you know i shouldn't say it's something new necessarily surprising but it reinforced being with rizza washington um you know we, we interview all the guys you know on zoom for the show to all the guys in the group oh, okay. and it really is 
kind of phenomenal to think of a group that now it's like what 30 years later i know since the first album came out sure. and they are still you know there's there's infighting there's always tensions yeah, in yeah. groups but they are like a brotherhood that has stuck together and they have a call like every wednesday a woo wednesday where they call and talk about <laughs> business stuff well, together awesome. and you know they still do shows together and to me that's sort of like how many groups can you point to or not just not just rap but music groups in general that have sustained and sort of been able to, to stay together for that long and, and put all that aside. And I think it's where they came from and sort of the, the, um, the stuff they faced, you know, when they were younger has kind of bonded them and, and made them just, you know, all that shit is like, we put that to the side at the end of the day, we're brothers. Like we can complain and beef about this and that, but at the end of the day, they, they have this sort of solidarity that I, I find really admirable. Oh, that's pretty cool to hear. And then a, another thing too, that I always found about Wu-Tang, especially again, I always keep saying it our era, when we were back then, and it was the whole East Coast versus West Side thing. They, even though they were on the East Coast, exactly, they were Sweden. right? They were Sweden, yeah, like they were the Sweden. only group that literally could get away with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's it's right. We were watching uh, the source. Of, there's like a source awards from '96 uh, or something. That okay. I was watching the other day for, for the show. I was watching a clip and like, right. It was a time when when I think Suge Knight came out and was like uh, this in the East Coast there, and it was in, you know people were. It was back. It was wild times, but like yep. Wu Tang came out to accept their award, and it was like they're twenty deep or whatever with all their affiliates behind them. But it's like RZA was like, "Put your guns in the air. This is peace. We don't, you know, like we don't mess with any of this stuff, East West stuff." And they did, like you said, they were able to be sort of neutral and, and loved by both coasts, um, which was a really hard at that time. You right. had to pick sides, but the, but people were like, "Nah, we're not fucking Wu Tang. <laughs> they can do whatever they want." So yeah, it's uh, it was crazy. So now I gotta ask, what side did you fuck with back in the day? <laughs> I mean, I, see, it, it was tough for me, and I never like. Obviously, at the heat of it, you feel like you had a, you feel like oh, you feel an identity to some to some group or to some sure. to some coast. But to me, like I, I love East Coast hip hop. I grew up with East Coast hip hop. Yeah. I love New York hip hop. Of course, but I also was a huge. I mean, Tupac was like is probably one of my favorite rappers of all time, and not. I mean, lyrically wise, I'm not talking. You know, he doesn't compare with some of the, the lyricists the true lyricists of east coast hip-hop but just from a yeah. message standpoint of course um Pac, Pac was doing stuff was was speaking to stuff that a lot of other rappers just weren't speaking to um mm-hmm. and so i never it was sort of like I, I could never take a side it was sort of just like i hope this stops i hope this ends peacefully unfortunately it didn't I but know. it was just sort of, it was just uh it was a really great time, though, too, for music. As much as it, 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 it bred a lot of animosity and a lot of tensions, yep. it was it was an amazing time for, for putting out great music from, from all from all sides of the country. Yeah, I was just the same way. Like, I don't want to, again, be like Wu-Tang stuck in the middle, but I was more gravitated towards East Coast because, again, being in Toronto, we heard a lot of New York stuff, right? Yeah. And Biggie is my favorite rapper of all time. So you had to fall in with the sort of the bad boy crew sort of thing. Right. You know what I mean? But again, I loved Snoop. I loved Dre. I love Pac. Like that whole thing, like everything, like I just loved it all. And it was just, it just sucked that at one point you literally had to pick a side and then right. behind closed doors, you'd be listening to the other side secretly. Of right. Of course. <laughs> right. It's, it's just, the only person who lost watch is the only people, but the fans lost and all that. Cause it's like, I know. you know, as music fans, we weren't like, you know, yes, we like to hear disc records, but we think yeah. it's just all on record. Right, and then it, it when it bleeds out, you know, off records, it's like, yeah, it's just it's very tragic. And I always often wonder, like, what the hip hop landscape would look like today if those two were still around. You know, I'm not sure. Certain people might not have careers. Some certain people might have, you know, less. Um, yeah, it's just it's, it would be really different. It's always it's always interesting to think about how that changed the whole landscape of hip hop. 
Yeah, no kidding. It's it's so true, and it's and again, it's unfortunate that it something that had to happen in order to get to where it's at. Because imagine if that didn't happen, who knows? Like you said, who knows where it would be, right? But yeah, yeah. it is what it is. What can say? Okay, but other than Pac, Biggie, those big ones, who else did you enjoy growing up? Growing up, I was a big. I mean, Wu Tang was my my favorite group. But as far as like, I mean, Eric B and Rakim. I love Eric okay. B and Rakim. I love Cool G Rap. Um, sure. I loved uh, like lyric. I was a big lyrics guy, so I was oh. a big fan of Mad Skills. Uh, skills now, uh, Chino XL, Rascast, Cannabis. These oh, guys sure. who are just sort of like lyricists who never got the the mainstream shine because they were just you know really heavy lyricists and not necessarily pick the best beat and stuff um you know i'm trying to mob deep i love mob deep um but mostly new i mean like i really do gravitate towards new york i love outcast but you know i wasn't a huge no limit master p fan i mean like i I was you know uh majority you know east coast uh new york new york jay rue the damage i remember when i went to nyu my freshman year and I was walking to my dorm. Okay. It was like literally the first day I was on campus and I walked through like Washington Square Park and I walked past Jay Rue the Damager, oh, who's like a rapper from, from East New York. But he was just walking down the street and I was like, peace, Jay Rue. And he was like, peace, God. And he walked by me and I was like, um, this is amazing. I picked the best place to go to college ever. Oh, shit. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and now I got to ask too, what about today's landscape of hip hop? What do you think about it? I mean, it's it's uh, it's I'm I'm always going to be an uh, old school '90s boom bap hip hop head. I okay. love samples. I love Premiere. You know, it's probably one of my favorite producers next to Reza, obviously. But uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big you know East Coast boom bap guy, and there's still people that are doing that. But I um, I love Cole. I like Cole. I like Kendrick. Um, right. I'm not you know the Griselda crew. I like what they're doing up in upstate New York. That those guys are dope. But um, I'm not as up as I should be. On the new stuff, I you know when Same I'm here. on I'm listening to Spotify in my car, I'm listening to you know something on my you know killing time. I often revert back to the '90s stuff that right. I grew up with, but, and, I, and I'll follow the, the guys who are still making music now from the '90s. But um, sure. yeah, you know it's it's a. Uh, I mean, I'm all, the other thing is I'm very open to to being put on to new artists because I just don't. It seems like you have to do a lot more work than we did back in the day to to be up and current on hip hop. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, please, you know, I, I meet people who are like, hey, have you heard this? And I'm like, no, please send it to me. So I don't, I don't know that. But if you think it's dope and you sign off on it, I'm down. I'm down. So, yeah, it's yeah. true. I mean, how, how about you? Is there somebody, yeah, speaking of which, is there somebody like, is there anything right now that you're, that I should be listening to that I'm not listening to? <laughs> no. And all honestly, I'm the exact same way like you. Like, I wait till someone either, like, Luckily, my wife so-called listens to uh, still terrestrial radio, so she hears what's on the top lists and all that. And then she'll be like, oh, you should yeah. listen to this guy. I think you'll like it because it's sort of like, like she's sort of my filter. And then I'll listen and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll put this in my rotation sort of thing. So I'll put like, yeah. maybe this is going to make people laugh. 10 to 20 new songs per year on my rotation. That's pretty much it. We're just that many coming out a day. Like, you know what I mean? So it's crazy, but I'm the same way like you. Like I listen to the old school, anywhere from nineties to about late two thousands. That's pretty much as far as I go. And today's stuff, I'm the same way. I'll listen to whoever is old that dropped something new to see if they still got it or whatnot. Most of the time, you know, it's a money grab, but half the time they do surprise you. Yeah, like not not Nas's two last albums with Hit Boy. Oh, there you uh, go. There's yeah, a good example. Those are those have been those have been really good and surprised me because you you know you kind of for a while uh, was I was like yeah it's fine but these two new ones I, I feel like he's been reinvigorated by this new producer that he's that he's with Hit Boy and it's uh, those have been good but yeah I'm you know I'm like you it's it's 
I'm I'm open to finding new artists, but it's 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 a grind. It's you got to be on you got to be on your Spotify, app Music, your whatever, and, and and looking and sort of like really being proactive about it. And I just don't. I just feel like at my age, I don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, because I said it the other day too. I was like, you know what? If the top three artists t- today were to walk down the street, I would not like. I still don't. Even though I could just Google her right now, I still don't even know what Dua Lipa looks like. And she's like one of the biggest <laughs> right now of all time. And it's like. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what can you do? Like, I'm just, I, it's like you said, there's so much other forms of entertainment now. Like now we're at that age. We're stuck in what we like. Like, yeah, it's not because we don't want to listen to it. We just don't have the time anymore, man. Don't have time. Yeah. No, I can't. I don't know how people do it that are our age. Right. They can find find new music, new TV shows. It's crazy. books i'm like there's just so how do i have time to do all this but yeah. Well, speaking (laughs) of new TV shows, what about house of dragons? Are you a game of thrones fan? I'm a huge. I was a big. Oh. Game, well, I was a big Game of Thrones fan. Okay. I I am a big Game of Thrones fan. I like much of the fandom was a little disappointed by the the how it wrapped up. Okay, but I was going to ask you. Not, sure. You know, but that that didn't deter me. Uh, deter me from wanting to to be a part of this world. Um, House of Dragon was great. I honestly can't talk of course, about it, unfortunately, because HBO has a very strong nda and uh they would come for me if they heard me talking about it but it was really a fun experience okay um i'm excited for fans to see it i'm excited to see it because i didn't we wrote the episodes and then you know they produced the showrunner ryan condal and miguel are the you know the guys who, who foster this and bring this to life gotcha. and i'm excited to see what they did uh with the show so i you know i'm just like every all the other fans i'm excited to see where, what happens but it was a really fun expe- experience once again to play in that sandbox you know i'm i feel very fortunate i get to play with wu-tang i have to play with marvel I get right to play thrones it's just yeah the one i wish i could have got to play with the lakers that hbo show coming out on the oh lakers. yeah that's right lakers. yeah so i'm like you know it's hit i got hip-hop i got comic books fantasy like basketball will be my other um huge thing that I, i'd want to be a part of if i could <laughs> Now, going back to the finale before we, we uh, yeah. touch on House of Dragons again. As a writer, what would you have written different for, for that season finale? Mm. It's tough because I don't... I think it, I think in a way, a way that's why it's unfair because they had to do it without knowing where the books... Without... You know, George was there that's helping, right. his, obviously, yeah, but too. the books weren't finished, so it's like they kind of had to come up with it. And, and for what it's worth, they, I don't think they stuck that landing but i don't it's like backseat driving and saying like well i would have done this differently well you know they just they kind of were hamstrung by not having the the source material to Mm. to kind of wrap up the way they want there's lots of ways they could have done it i think would have pleased fans better but i don't feel comfortable being that guy who's backseat driving and telling them what they should have done differently especially as a as a fellow writer who you know has been in these rooms and worked in these kind of things i I don't i I, it's yeah, I don't feel I don't feel comfortable critiquing or what I would have done different. <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries. Now, okay, how about this? Right now, obviously, you can't divulge anything, but I want to touch on outside stuff. So how about when you have to write sort of for like a project like this where the terminology is different, different dialects, accents? Like, how does that go into how you write uh, for a series? Yeah, that was the, that was the scariest thing for me in taking oh, that job. Okay. And I, I literally was like, I came home from the meeting and I told my wife, I was like, I don't think I can... I'm not sure I can do this diet. Like, I don't know if I can write this because I, I like it and I love watching it as a fan, but yeah. I was like, it's so out. It feels so out of my wheelhouse. Um, 90s hip hop. I can do 90s slang, like, sure. slang, like no problem. <laughs> I, I code switch, no problem. But when it comes to, you know, it's not Shakespearean, but when it comes to sort of like this, this old English sort of like dialogue that, that just 
doesn't come natural to me. It just takes a lot of it. Take what, what it was is like, re, yeah, research, reading a lot of stuff, but also just sort of reading old Game of Thrones scripts, reading the books, re, just trying to mimic as best as I could what what I was seeing on screen. But it, it still never came naturally naturally to me. And um, and thankfully we have a great showrunner who's like a huge Ryan Condal is a huge Game of Thrones nerd, and then he you know can go through and he's like that doesn't make sense what you wrote there. I'm gonna fix it, change it, and make it better. Gotcha. <laughs> and he does. So. Um, but yeah, it, that, it's, it's intimidating. I mean, I, that's probably the most intimidating show I've ever worked on in the sense of like that's just not my wheelhouse. I, it's something I wanted to play, uh, wanted to, a sandbox I wanted to play in, but I just felt like I was maybe a little out of my out of my depths going in. Now, speaking of sandbox, and you mentioned a whole ton of stuff that you've pretty much done other than basketball. Is there anything else, like, say, like, comedy or horror that you would ever want to write? Um, I love comedy, but I don't think I'm funny. Oh. So I don't, I don't, okay, I don't that's think fair. I, I, I don't think I, and, I, and when I started off my career, as I mentioned before, I was a production assistant and a writer's assistant okay. in Disney Channel uh, comedy rooms. I was worked on Wizards of Waverly Place and the show Sunny with a Chance, which were, you know, sitcoms on Disney Channel. And most of the writers in those rooms were from shows that, like, this was an era of television where there weren't a lot of three-camera sitcoms anymore on TV, and they were a lot of them on Disney Channel. So a lot of the writers who were on Seinfeld or Friends or those kind of shows gotcha. went and worked on these kids' shows. Sure. And so the rooms were very raunchy and, like, not kid humor, <laughs> but, like, what was produced was kid humor. But I realized very quickly, I was like, oh, this is... Comedy writers' rooms are wildly different than drama writers' rooms. It's just people trying to beat each other's jokes and one up each other, and it just moves like very quickly. And, and the humor level is, wow. is is crazy. And so to me, I was like, oh, I'm not cut out for this at all. I love to watch this. I don't have the talent for this. And for far as horror or something like that, um, I'm a fan of horror, but I don't think I can write horror. I'm, I gravitate towards sort of authentic, like gritty or grounded. Uh, you know, I say that after I've done Game of Thrones and Jessica sure. Jones, but but I do I gravitate towards more um, gritty and grounded sort of. The Wire is my favorite show of all time, like, oh, so wow. that that's kind of my okay. the wheelhouse. Of what I would I would love to write, yeah. No, that makes sense. No, no. Speaking of teams and all that, do you prefer working in a team based environment, or would you rather work alone, say in like a closet by yourself and just get it done that way? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because uh, well, it depends. You know. I think ideally I'm I'm more of a isolated sort of creator, okay. but that's not a, that's not a, a you can't do that in television. You you have to learn how to to, to collaborate, and that's I and true. I as long as you have the right people around you, it, it it's no it's no problem, and it, it, it comes well. But if like if you ask if you ask again if you ask my wife or you know when I was in film school, it was very, like we used to have to be in teams to go. Uh, make our short films like a four-person team and i would like send and she was on my four-person team back in the day and um in college and i would send the other three people home and be like i got this i'm just gonna do this myself i'm gonna shoot yeah. it and edit it and, and do it myself um and so i yeah i'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know i do serial time you mentioned earlier this this youtube channel that i have yeah. it's just all me it's like uh, you know i write it and shoot it and then edit it and so i do like i i, I do love creating stuff just by myself but you know, the benefit of doing it with teams is that you realize so so often that, oh, there's something I didn't think of. There's, there's like, you know, it it just gets elevated by putting more voices in there and collaborating with people and seeing things in ways that you, you don't necessarily see them. No, that's good. And speaking of serial time, obviously, let's get right into it. Of course, this is your big, speaking of something doing alone, this is your baby, your channel. You yeah. put this out. So what did all this get started? And speaking of Seinfeld, obviously, Seinfeld is one of the biggest serial lovers ever of all time that people yeah. know about. So when did yeah. you get the concept? When did all this get started? 
So I, I've always loved cereal, and I grew like again growing up. I would my parents would buy me all the new cereals. Okay. I didn't really collect. I collected like Wheaties boxes. Like I had the oh, Bad shit. Boys, um, the NBA, the, the Pistons uh, Bad Boys box or Michael sure. Jordan Bad Boys box. Like I would keep those of certain athletes I like, but I never really collected hardcore when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love cereal, and then and then I think it's probably like in the early two thousands. Uh, I was on eBay and I saw a Spider-Man cereal from 1995 okay. box on eBay and it was unopened. I was like, oh, sure. I remember that. Like instantly, you know, we were talking about nostalgia earlier. It was instantly like, oh, God, I can feel the nostalgia. The Saturday morning cartoons rushing back. So I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this. And I bought it and I just, I, that was like, oh, this must be one. And then like the next week I was on eBay and, <laughs> thing, and you know, like now my recommendations start popping up and it's like, oh, there's this cereal. I remember this one too. And it sort of snowballed from there. Sure. Uh, and I started collecting a lot of boxes and just, um, a lot of them were unopened, uh, oh. and I would keep them in my closet or keep them displayed on my desk or something like that. Okay, and it got okay. to a point where um, it was actually my wife who was like, "You know, this is ridiculous. You have way too many unopened cereal boxes <laughs> in our in our closet. You need to open these and flatten them and like store them." And she was like, "She was like, you should just do a YouTube channel." She's like, "I watch makeup channels. I watch all these YouTube channels." She's like, "You should do a YouTube channel where you just show the cereal, open the box. You can show the cereal to people who don't sure. you don't grow up seeing it or, or for remembering it." And I was like. I was like, sure, I'll do that. Nobody's going to watch this. Nobody cares about that, but I'll do it. And so I uh, I started doing that and opening the boxes and, and showing them and talking about cereal. And uh, people caught on. It's not huge. I mean, by no means, it's, it's super famous, but it's yeah. uh, super popular. But I, I do think there's a niche of people that are like, oh, I like cereal too, and I like seeing that stuff. And so from there, it's sort of just, it, now it's become, it's a hobby. It still is a hobby, <laughs> but um, it's tough to keep, to me, it's like, it's tough to keep up. I've been doing it like seven years now. Oh, sure. And I'm getting to the point where I'm like, you know, we were talking a minute ago about how busy we are. And I'm just like, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep doing this. But it really, it does bring me, you know, it's like a hobby away from work that does bring me a lot of joy. And it's it's just mine. And the cereal companies now will send me boxes of cereal. And, yeah, you know, so oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a fun little perk. So it's like, you know, it's been, it's been fun. Oh, there you go. Okay, I, I got to know, I got a ton of questions cereal-wise. Because I'm a huge cereal, again, growing up in an era, like we keep mentioning, cereal was huge back then. We didn't know that it was bad for you, like how people say it's bad now because of all the sugar content and all that shit in it, right? But I grew up, okay, here's what I grew up on, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. So I grew up on Honeycomb, Fruit Loops, and Fruity Pebbles. Those were pretty much the three that were always in my house. And then for a treat, I'd get Lucky Charms. Oh, that was a treat for you guys? Because it had, <laughs> it had the little marshmallows, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a treat. It, marshmallows aren't yeah. good for you, right? No. So, okay, now I got to know. First off, what's the worst cereal you've tried so far? The worst cereal by far, and I say this on my channel all the time, is Crave. Crave is a, is a Kellogg cereal that I hate. I okay. can't stand Crave. Um, it's, Never heard of it's this like one. These little, it's these little, it came from the UK, I think, okay. and then it came over here to the US. But it's like these little nuggets with with like chocolate filling, but the texture is just terrible and the chocolate's not good. It's very divisive. A lot of my, a lot of people who watch my channel are like, you're crazy. Crave is one of my favorite cereals, but I think it's generational. I think like our, our age, we didn't grow up with Crave and it came like in the two thousands, I think. And that it, it, a younger generation like loved it when it came out. So that is my least favorite cereal of all time. How, okay. I don't know how you're going to distinguish this, but the weirdest cereal, the weirdest well, I think the weirdest was a few years ago when they released Sour Patch Kids as a cereal. What? They did this? Which was, just, yeah, this is, which is, by the way, it's funny because Canada, like, I was going to ask you because you guys do get a lot of the same cereals we get, but you get, you also get some different ones. Like, you guys yeah. got Timbits up yeah, there. Of course. Which we don't get down here because we don't have, um, we don't, we don't, we don't, I think we have a few. Yeah, um, you have a couple scattered you know, Tim, here and there. Tim Hortons, yeah. but yeah, but not a lot. Um, 
And you guys will get some other ones, and I'll have to like find Canadian friends that I'll be like, can you send me a box of this so I can keep a box for my collection? Oh, really? But uh, back to your question of Sour Patch Kids, they also did a few years ago a um, like a chicken and waffles cereal. What? That was like a honey bunches of oats, chicken and waffles <laughs> cereal, and it was it had a little savory taste to it. That was like, mm, I don't know, this doesn't really work. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's okay. Well, how about this for people who actually want a healthy alternative? What's the healthiest cereal? I don't know what the healthiest is, but I will say, and this may this may um, disappoint some fans that watch mine and think I continue to eat sugary cereals all the time. I, I I still do, but I eat those for like dessert, you know, at the end of the, oh, know, okay. sometimes it's a treat. Sure. But every you know every morning I eat um, Nature's Path brand, which is like a, a healthier brand you'll find in stores here in the U.S. And they okay. have like you know flaxseed raisin bran or ah, you know, gotcha. uh, some granola. Site. So so that's what I usually eat. I don't know how healthy it is. They're still probably too much sugar and too much carbs and you know but um, right that's that's what i eat uh majority for for breakfast instead of the sweet sugary stuff anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know like i said we you can't do that anymore right yeah oh my god well okay well how about this remember back then we used to have like little trinkets and toys and collectibles that used to come in not so much nowadays i would assume it's because kids are eating them like luckily i was never one of those kids growing up but we never had those like attention there's something here do not eat it look for it whatever what are some of your most memorable ones that you could think of growing up so there was one i mean by the way i share your your disappointment that they don't do that anymore because it does seem like that was so fun and i think I think, by the way, like you're you're right, and you're probably onto something about the eating things. But I also think it's sort of a cost cutting thing where they just don't want to. That's true. Get, too. They're like, how we can do this for the cheapest amount possible, and people will still buy it. We don't yeah. have to do this anymore. But to, to your first part, um, there were these things, the wacky wallers, wacky wall crawlers. Okay. That came in stairs back in the day. They're just like they look like little slimy octopus, and you throw and it. You would yes. Throw, throw them on. They like crawl down. Gotcha. Crawl down the, yeah, yeah. The window. Those, those are probably some of my favorite. There was like a. Honeycomb had some like license plate, give like little mini license plates in there yeah. that I used to love. Uh, I don't know. There's yeah, there's so many. They used to have so many fun prizes and premiums in there, like send away for things like little plush dolls or something like that. Um, I don't know, man. There's uh, like I'm sure if I see that, uh, what I do like doing is going down YouTube and watching old commercials and they, oh. you know, like, they advertise like and make sure you pick you get this and you get a True. special you know lucky charm thing in there. So. Uh, yeah, man, it was a great, it was a great time. <laughs> How's great your time. history on cereal? Do you know, like, the ins and outs of cereal? Like, for example, like, do you know when they first started giving away prizes or so-called Cracker Jacks and cereal and stuff like that? I know that, um, oh, wait, I'm going to get it wrong. Oh. It's Kellogg's did it, but I forget the name, the first cereal that they did it in. But, okay. but no, to your point, I, I mean, I know, I know my era, like I have a pretty good memory of my era and stuff sure. that came out of my era, but as far as history wise, like I'll do the research for my YouTube videos and hopefully it sticks and I remember it, but for the most part, you know, it's like, uh, I gotta go and refresh my memory on, on some of the history. Okay, let's see this one then. This will lead right into the worst story of the week and we'll wrap it up and get you out of here. I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but do you know why and how cereal was invented? I do. Uh, Perfect. It, yeah, it's, uh, so it was, um, John Harvey Kellogg, and the the story you'll see online is because uh, he had a sanitarium in Michigan, and he wanted a breakfast alternative that was healthy. But a lot of things that people related to is that it was, (laughs) this is probably what you're going for, was to to cure cure masturbation. There it is. Because he was a very very (laughs) prude and 
it's, I mean, you can probably explain it from what you've read more than I can, but it's like that, that's where everybody harkens back to is that it was like a breakfast alternative, healthy, but because of his views and his philosophies and his sanitarium, this was like a way to cure people from masturbating. Apparently, yeah, it's so weird because obviously back then, obviously this is probably religion related and stuff like that, and that's where yeah. it came from. But people used to think that you could go blind, you could go infertile, you would get epilepsy, go insane from masturbating. So yeah. they invented cornflakes. So now, people, next time you're having cereal, just think you could be masturbating instead of eating I- cereal. <laughs> it's so good, I love it. I'm like, I don't think. I don't think that's true about all those ailments. I think a lot of us would, right. be, uh, would have we'd have a pretty blind population if that were the case. How about this? I think it's the opposite. If you don't masturbate, you'll get those. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still eat cereal too. You can do both. <laughs> oh, so what's the end game of the whole cereal time and everything? Do you have one, or are you just going to keep going until you decide? You not know, to? I think I'm going to just keep going okay. until I. Th- I mean, like at this point. People are like, "Are you running out of cereals to cover?" And I still got plenty in, in the, you know, in the chamber to go. Oh, so, okay, there you go. Uh, I will. I take hiatuses from time to time on work. It's kind of hectic, uh, but I think it's gonna it just continue until I, until I'm like, you know what? I don't have time in my life for this anymore. But the love for cereal will always be there. You know, as long as I have an Instagram account or a TikTok or something, I'll there still be go. posting pictures and videos of cereal. <laughs> nice. Well. Thanks, Gabe, for coming aboard. Really appreciate it. Hope you had a good time. Plug your stuff. Anything you want to promote? Floor is all yours, my friend. Well, thank you for having me. I don't. I literally don't. Uh, you know, have uh, anything to plug except Serial Time TV, which uh, which I do on YouTube, on Instagram, and on TikTok. But um, you know, I, I'm writing for Wu Tang, and I said this is the third season Wu Tang um, on on Hulu. If you're lucky enough to get Hulu, if you live in Canada, hopefully, but you'll get that soon. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's all I got going on in my life. But thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to meet a fellow Fonseca, Fonseca, um, and this is it's been wonderful. And uh, I appreciate I appreciate you uh, inviting me on here. No. We didn't get to, we didn't get to talk anything about wrestling, which I think we probably could have talked about Attitude Era professional wrestling. I'm a big oh. wrestling fan, but oh, I did maybe not we'll do it again. know that. Maybe we'll have another, yeah. That's the I, one I, thing that's not anywhere when you Google you, my friend. You got to put that somewhere. Wrestling fan, it helps. Trust me. Okay, no, perfect. Next next time. Yeah, we'll do it next time. We can talk about the Attitude Era. Love it, love it. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at thepodcastapp at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because what helps them out most definitely helps me out. And please, most importantly, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. One last question before I let you go, my friend. What's your favorite line or dialogue that you've seen that you've written? Yeah. Oh, man. You're going to have to edit the silence that it takes me to think of this. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's a hard question. It's a hard question because there's, there's a lot that, I just, I'm, I'm, I, that I've that I've been fortunate and blessed enough to be able to see stuff that I've had on, on screen. I will say this. It, I, I can't give you a line of dialogue off the top of my head. Sure. But the first season of Wu-Tang, you haven't, you haven't watched it yet. There's the episode that I wrote came from, uh, from start to finish was sort of my, my baby, the seedling. Oh. And it was, it was okay. five, five acts, all one takes each act was like a one take a one shot thing. Okay. And it was sort of, um, from conception to, to air, uh, I feel it's the thing I probably most proud of that, uh, that I produced and, and put on television. So, That's awesome. There's that. Yeah. On that note, he's Gabe. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.